Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me today on Unity Without Compromise. This is Dr. Steve Latula, and I am so grateful that you are here with me today. I thank you for putting up with me, for hearing perhaps my side of the story. And, you know, we are now in the Christmas season, and I always look forward to this time of year because for one thing, another year is coming to an end, and soon to be will be another year which I always regard as an other opportunity to maybe see better things, to do new things, and to hope for a better world. And as the year 2022 is coming to an end soon, I have really taken pause. I've tried to be still and to just reflect and listen to what God would be telling me right now, if he sat down with me and said, you know, Steve, this is what I have in store for you. And this is what I want you to do. And, you know, in a real sense, God has told every one of us what his will is. I mean, the Bible is just full of teachings and instruction. Uh, There's no reason to not know what God's will is. But let me tell you, in this crazy, hectic world that we live in, and let's face it, it's always been crazy. It's always been hectic, but we have to live in it and do the best we can. And if we have a conscience and a sensitivity toward God and a desire to actually serve people, we are going to struggle, aren't we? I mean, especially in times like this, when our world seems to be turning upside down in whole new ways. Now, I mentioned recently that I am changing the direction in my life. I'm really seeking God's will, and I have been doing an awful lot of soul searching recently. And those of you who do follow me regularly has have perhaps noticed that I've actually become somewhat angry and perhaps almost bitter because I don't like what I have been seeing taking place in America. And I have asked myself, why am I becoming a monster of sorts when I think of all the harm that is being done to not just the people in America, but people everywhere, to innocent victims, because that's really what is happening. And, you know, when the clutter in the mind continues to build to the point that you cannot see straight, then it's time to take a pause in your life and to just be silent, as the Bible says in the Psalms, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted among the nations. And sometimes we just have to do that. And that involves always getting back to the basics of life. And when we do that, we can usually develop a better understanding of who we are, what our purpose is here on earth, and actually, most importantly, what does the Lord require of us? And of course, we have been told that very clearly in the Bible. And um, the better understanding comes from boiling things down to what is essential 
and asking ourselves to prioritize those things in our lives that are most important. And most people might just blatantly shout out, oh, God and country, you know, or uh, God, family and country. And hopefully God would be first. But I want to get a better understanding myself to know what the words mean, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, what does that really mean to have the Lord as our shepherd? Because, you know, we have accused people of being sheep, which are the blind followers uh, of the blind who are leading people into despair, death, and destruction, right? So um, when we declare ourselves to have a Lord who is the great shepherd, then that means we are his sheep. And that can be a very good thing. And it doesn't mean that we are blindly following anything. It means that we are committed to following one who we know has our best interest in mind. And that's what a shepherd of sheep really is. A shepherd is one who protects the flock from the wolves, from the evil critters that would attack them and uh, destroy them. So my topic today is when the Lord is our helper and our shepherd, what's to fear? You see, I think I've been putting the cart before the horse, and it goes to show you that anybody, uh, including a simpleton like me, can, can actually lose sight of things. And I finally figured out what it is when I did take that pause and reflect. Now, I can only imagine that many Americans today, right now, who watch the news and hear these blips of all the horrors in the world and in our own country, probably have a lot of feelings of doom and gloom. And those who don't have any of those feelings somehow are trusting a government that has truly gone rogue. We know that. But is that the end of the story? And are we, are we futile in our minds so that we, we accept it? I mean, what do we do? What is our role as Americans, as Christians, as just as human beings? What ought we to do? And how, the, how we answer that question is going to be decided uh, based on what our worldview is. And, you know, we can divide worldviews into a dichotomy of a secular worldview or a biblical worldview. And the secular worldview is simply a world without God in it. And the biblical worldview means that we acknowledge a supreme being who has some say and some control over us and over his creation. And in the case of the God of the Bible, he has full control, but he has relinquished some control for a time. Now, that doesn't mean he will not have his desired outcome. He most certainly will. But a lot of people seem to be having a change of worldview right now. And it is somewhat concerning because we are leaning more and more toward a secular or ungodly perspective. And a lot of that has to do with our modern technology, which actually has been changing a lot. Um, we are capable of doing things now in the laboratory and 
in all in electronics, in um, a lot of different fields, we have new capabilities. And with new capability comes the ability to do good or maybe to do evil. And when the technology is changing, that can also change our worldview. And not only that, it can change the world political stage. And that actually we see happening right now in a very big way. And it's very easy to be dragged by the strong currents of the, the trends and the worldviews that are continually reshaping themselves. I mean, if you think about it, how has political correctness actually shaped your own worldview? Or has it? Have you noticed it? Has it changed your view, for example, of the Constitution? Has it changed your view of the Bible itself? These are important questions to answer because if you don't stop and think about what you believe and why you believe what you do, then it's very easy to be led astray. And I think I was on that road of being led astray to some extent, and I would more or less call it a putting of the cart before the horse, because I came to realize, you know, I've been harping a lot on the Constitution. I've been talking a lot about how the First Amendment has been lost. And um, a lot of people are saying that because of all the censorship. I mean, let's face it, we've lost a lot of free speech, but we have not lost all free speech. And to say that we have would be a gross exaggeration. And I think I've been a little guilty of that myself, because here I am speaking right now on America Out Loud Talk Radio, reaching I don't know how many people, but thousands. And it's a good thing. And I can go to other news uh, newscasts and get information that is truthful and honest and, um, and balanced. And that's a very good thing. So as long as that is available to us, at least to some extent, then we can't say that we have lost entirely the First Amendment. And let's face it, I can still attend a local church and not worry about the government putting me in chains. So we haven't lost all freedom of religion. I am not told that I have to follow Marxism or communism uh, as opposed to biblical teaching. I mean, it has not been forced upon me yet. So I think I've been wrong in saying that we have lost the First Amendment completely. We have not. I mean, we have uh, been a very blessed nation and we have received a great deal of good because people before us did pay a real heavy price because they thought it was very important to have liberty, to have free speech, and to have the freedom to practice religion, and to hold our government accountable based on our free speech. And we've lost some of that. I mean, with the January 6th committee, look at what a debacle that is. Look at how they have changed things and prevented people from actually appealing to their government saying you are doing some things that are wrong, that are unconstitutional, that are dishonest, that are immoral and unethical. And these people, many of them are still sitting in jail. They were wrongfully imprisoned. And that does bother me. And when it bothers me, what do I do? I want to appeal to the Constitution to, to set things right. And that I think was my actual mistake. And I, 
it finally hit me one day when I realized something that one of the founding fathers actually said. John Adams actually stated that our constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people. And what he meant by that, let's be very clear, he meant a Christian people, a people that serve the one Christian God. And sure, there were a lot of variations, a lot of different denominations, um, but every one of our founders had a sense that there was a creator God, a master planner of the universe, and he had a plan and a direct interaction with his creation, with mankind. And every president uh, had believed that, or at least the founding fathers believed that to a large extent, and that did influence the shaping of our country, specifically in the founding documents, those great documents like the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, um, you know, everything that makes America what it is, is based on a trust in God. And that's a very important thing to remember. But if our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people, and as John Adams also said, it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Now, if you take that to heart, that means that we're in trouble right now because are we a religious people? Are we a moral people? Well, you could argue either way because let's face it, when we have 10 times the number of murders performed through the demise of the unborn children and compare that with the Holocaust, 10 times more children unborn were murdered, brutally murdered, um, whereas in the Holocaust, 6 million Jews were murdered and perhaps equally as much um, non-Jews. But we are a brutal nation when we really think about that. I mean, we call ourselves a Christian nation, but how can a Christian nation allow such a thing to happen? Well, it's pretty difficult. And so if the Constitution was made for a moral and religious people, and if it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other, then that would make perfect sense why the Constitution is now being trampled and why we ourselves are ignoring it, claiming that we are a constitutional republic, but not really living by it because it doesn't do us service. John Adams was right. John Adams was absolutely right. And there were other founders who stated the same thing in different ways. James Madison, for example, said our constitution requires sufficient virtue among men for self-government. Otherwise, nothing less than the chains of despotism can restrain them from de destroying and devouring one another. And that's exactly what we're seeing happen in America right now. We are so polarized that we are truly devouring each other, trying to destroy each other. So there's been some real significant changes in technology, in politics, in the political world order, if you will. But what has not changed is the heart of man, and specifically the heart of man apart from God. So if we reject God, what these men were saying is that the Constitution really is null and void. It will not work. And that is very, very true. So let me just confess my sin of losing sight of these things. 
the Constitution was designed for a Christian nation only. And we have to accept that. So the question is, is the Constitution obsolete now? And is that why the Constitution has been shelved by the left? Well, I think it is very true that that is what happened. But it's also ineffective because we can no longer appeal to the Constitution if we are not a Christian nation, specifically a Christian nation. The Constitution is nothing more than a man-made document, okay? We, we elevate it to a great degree because these are perhaps the greatest man-made documents that have ever been written, that have influenced the world for good. And that's a good thing. I mean, the documents are good, but the Constitution is nonetheless a man-made document. It is not inspired by God. The writers were inspired in their hearts and minds and in their creative ability to write a document, but they do not have the protection of the Holy Spirit as the authors of the Bible had. So the Constitution presumes that the people are following a biblical standard. And today that is a wrong presumption. We have to acknowledge that. We are not a biblical people. We are not a Christian nation anymore. And that was my mistake. This is why I need, needed to really pull back, pull myself back into a safe harbor and to change my course. And I realized I really need to do that because if I don't, I will be as lost as everybody else. I will be caught up in the rage and the madness. And it is a mistake to appeal the, to the constitution if you cannot appeal to the Bible. And that I must affirm with all certainty. If you go to the big book of Hebrews in the New Testament, in the last chapter, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, the author, whom we do not know for sure who wrote this, uh, there are various uh, beliefs, but we know that this is in inspired scripture because of what it says. But Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, that's a very, very fascinating verse. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And if we can boldly say that the Lord is my helper, then we ought not to fear. But then the question he asks, what can man do to me? It's, it's a rhetorical question. I mean, what can man do to you? Well, man can do a lot, I suppose. And in the, the beginning of verse 5, when it says, let your conduct be without covetousness, I like to go back to the Greek and deal with that. But since most people don't understand the Koine Greek of the New Testament, um, I would refer to the New American Standard Bible, which is the most literal translation of the Greek. And it says there, let your character be free from the love of money. And that is the other God that so many people worship. Remember that God's you cannot uh, serve two gods. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. And the love of money 
is what destroys perhaps the greatest majority of people. Greed is a very horrible thing because it blinds us completely. But Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's a great promise. And we should boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, you know, I will not fear man, but what can man do to me? You know, that's a quote actually from Psalm 118, verse 6. But what can man do to you? Well, let's be careful, very careful to interpret the scripture with accuracy and with honesty. So what has man done to you already? I mean, have you ever been robbed? Have you ever been assaulted? Have you been slandered or belittled in some way? Well, man has done an awful lot of horrible things to man. And shouldn't that make us fear man? A lot of you say, oh, I don't fear man. I, I fear God. But let's face it. God has given us some defensive instincts, right? We want to preserve our own lives. And that helps us to survive every day. We put on the brakes when we come to a stop sign because we know if we don't, we might get hit and killed. And do you have a fence around your property? And why would you have a fence up around your property? Do you carry defensive weapons? Do you have a weapon uh, for home protection? Why? Is that because you fear man? Do you lock your doors at night? What's the purpose of locks? Isn't it to protect yourself because you fear being robbed? or attacked. See, any defense, defensive posture that we take means that we actually do fear man, at least to some degree. But what is being said here in the book of Hebrews is not really that. Because let's face it, we know through experience and common sense that in the physical world, man can very easily destroy you. But God said to put that fear aside. And that is not an easy thing to do, but it's not impossible either. And it totally depends upon how loyal a sheep we are to the great shepherd. That's what takes away all fear. It is not impossible to put fear aside. Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Okay, so the worst that man can do is kill us. And when I think about that, I think, imagine all the people who have been brutally killed, um, their lives just completely wasted senselessly, just because of the evil of mankind. There have been millions and millions, billions perhaps, of people who have been killed, murdered by man. And that's the worst that they can do. And what that tells me is that God has a higher priority. We are on a journey in this life, but there's a whole lot more to come. How many people actually believe in a doctrine of hell or of heaven. You know, I think that that is decreasing. People think, how in the world could a loving God create a hell? Well, we have to read what God said about it, because it depends on your view of the Bible. 
But both heaven and hell are taught very clearly in scripture as being real places, real destinations for us. And we will be in one place or the other, whether we like it or not. And that should instill a little bit of a fear of God. As we are told in the gospel of Matthew, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a healthy fear of God. And that's exactly what we're told to do. But that requires a restoration of the heart. And that comes only through repentance, through forgiveness, and the work of the uh, atoning work that comes from the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. And if that means nothing to us, then we will live in fear of man. And if we never get to that point where we can trust the helper and follow the good shepherd, then we will never, ever overcome the fear of man. And that fear makes us a slave to man. It makes us a slave to these elitists, to these dictators who will be very happy because you fear them. And because of that fear, you will do anything they tell you to do. And let's face it. And this is the crux of the matter that I've been wrestling with. The fear of man actually nullifies the Constitution. It completely renders the Constitution void, null and void. Because when we fear man, we no longer fear God. And if we don't fear God and honor God, then we become immoral or amoral. We become secular or worldly. And we start thinking about me, myself, and I. We become our own gods. And we worship money. And when we get to that point, what good is the Constitution? that was made for a moral and religious people, a Christian nation. You see, the Constitution has no merit whatsoever if we reject God. The Constitution becomes a worthless piece of paper. And that's the mistake that many of us are making right now. We are constantly appealing to the Constitution, but we forgot to appeal to the Lord, our God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave us the spirit that is behind the Constitution. The impetus behind the Constitution is a righteous people who willingly serve God and therefore discipline themselves. And without that discipline from a Christian God, the Constitution won't work. Remember, Alexis de Tocqueville said the very same thing when he came to America some years after we became an independent nation. It's a very interesting thought that we need to consider because, let's face it, we're, we're constantly appealing to the Constitution. And the First, con the first Amendment when it goes to the wayside, the Second Amendment was intended to rectify it, but that won't work. 
It will not work. We are blowing smoke. Even talking about it, if we are not first and foremost a nation that puts our trust in God. I am going to take a short break and then I will be back to further discuss this problem and what we might be able to actually do about it. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Unity Without Compromise. This is Dr. Steve LaTulip. Today, I've been discussing a deep subject, and it pertains to worldviews that determine who we are as a nation. What I am proposing is that when the Lord really is our helper and our shepherd, what is there to fear? Nothing whatsoever, because things will fall in place. We either have a secular or a biblical worldview, and depending on how we view the world to be, how we see it day in and day out, determines what kind of people we are, and it's based on what we believe, because our beliefs hopefully lead to actions. And if they don't lead to action, then we should question if they really are a foundational belief in our lives. I'm discussing a rather deep subject today that some may actually consider inconsequential, but it really is not. It's a core issue that actually will determine the very fate of America. It'll determine who we are as a nation and whether or not we survive. I mentioned that the Constitution was written only for a people with a Christian worldview. And that was actually the line in the beliefs of our founders of this very nation. 
And that's recently what I have been forgetting. And that has been leading me astray. But it's a principle that many people have never understood whatsoever, because we are, in fact, a post-Christian nation right now. I recently read a speech that was given in February of 1961 by John F. Kennedy, and it was titled The Nation's Guiding Principle. And it's a principle about religious conviction versus religious independence or freedom of religion. And when I had read this years ago, I simply thought it was a great speech, which it is, and I accepted everything he said as fact and truth. But when I read it again, I, I thought a little bit differently about it, and I would like to share that speech with you today. It's not real long, and I will not cover every last word of it, but it goes like this. John Kennedy said, this country was founded by men and women who were dedicated or came to be dedicated to two propositions. First, a strong religious conviction. And secondly, a recognition that this conviction could flourish only under a system of freedom. Well, two propositions, a strong religious conviction was instrumental in founding this nation and a recognition that this conviction, this religious conviction could flourish only under a system of freedom. Now that's an interesting statement. Let me go on and read the second paragraph. John Kennedy said, I think it is appropriate that we pay tribute to this great constitutional principle which is enshrined in the First Amendment of the Constitution, the principle of religious independence, of religious liberty, of religious freedom. But I think it is also important that we pay tribute and acknowledge another great principle, and that is the principle of religious conviction. Religious freedom has no significance unless it is accompanied by conviction. And therefore, the Puritans and the pilgrims of my own section of New England, the Quakers of Pennsylvania, the Catholics of Maryland, the Presbyterians of North Carolina, the Methodists and the Baptists who came later, all shared these two great traditions, which, like silver threads, have run through the warp and the woof of American history. So John Kennedy was saying that religious freedom is of utmost importance only if we have religious conviction, which would lead most people to the conclusion that religious freedom really isn't all that important right now in this day and age, isn't it? Because how many people truly have religious conviction? Let me ask the question in a different way. How many churches right now adhere to the teachings of scripture, such as what God's design for family is. Can a man marry a man, have sex with a man, and vice versa? Can 
boys and girls declare themselves the opposite sex and that be right? I mean, what's, what do we think of the LGBTQIA movement right now? What do the churches believe? Well, the sad truth is that a good 60 plus percent of the churches are okay with that right now. But the Bible isn't. God is not okay with that because in the beginning, God created them male and female. And we were given specific instructions to be fruitful and multiply. And the man was told that he should depart from his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. See, this is all God's design. And so if you really have religious conviction, meaning not just a conviction about any religion, but about Christianity, which really is a lifestyle, not so much a religion. But I really respect what John Kennedy said when he said that religious freedom has no significance unless it is accompanied by conviction. And in a sense, he's saying that the Constitution itself has no significance without Christian conviction. Isn't he saying the same thing? He goes on to say, no man who enters upon the office to which I have succeeded can fail to recognize how every president of the United States has placed special reliance upon his faith in God. Every president has taken comfort and courage when told that the Lord, quote, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. While they came from a wide variety of religious backgrounds and held a wide variety of religious beliefs, each of our presidents in his own way has placed a special trust in God. Those who were strongest intellectually were also strongest spiritually. Interesting statement. Now, I take that paragraph and say, you know, John Kennedy um, spoke tr truthfully at the time that he gave this speech in 1961. I don't think we could actually say the same thing right now. Not after having Barack Obama. I mean, Barack Obama has no religious conviction. He says we are not a Christian nation. We are no longer a Christian nation. And his spirituality was utterly weak. And look at who we have in office right now. Joe Biden has no religious conviction whatsoever. He declares himself to be a Roman Catholic, but everything he says and does or parrots or puppets defies and exposes him, defies his message of being if you would call it religious, nothing of the sort is true. Nothing could be further from the truth. So what is the significance of religious conviction? John F. Kennedy then said, let us go forth to lead this land that we love, joining in the prayer of General George Washington in 1783, 
quote, that God would have you in his holy protection, that he would incline the hearts of the citizens to entertain a brotherly love and affection for one another, and finally, that he would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion without any humble imitation of whose example we can never hope to be a happy nation. George Washington there quoted Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, when a people is determined to do that, then we have a love for our neighbor as ourselves. We look out for each other. We defend each other. We have moral standards that guarantees that each person is as important as another before God and has equal value. Now, that's a great deviation from what uh, Klaus Schwab's right-hand man, um, Harari, is saying. He's saying we're hackable animals. He's saying that the majority of God's created people are nothing more than useless eaters, right? So this is just devastating. This is a contrast of where a nation is with God versus being apart from God. It becomes a very scary thing. And if we don't fear God and do his will, then, yeah, I can understand why people would fear man because man can do some really horrible things of his own human nature in the flesh. So it was quite a speech that he gave. <clears throat> and he concluded by saying that the guiding principle and prayer of this nation has been, is now, and shall ever be in God we trust. Now, could you imagine this if we took a poll of all Americans and let's assume that every American voted, what percentage of Americans would want to keep those four words in God we trust on our currency and how many would want to scratch it off and how many people in practice in their works, in their beliefs and in their words actually communicate their belief that in God they trust. See, that's what makes me think America is really in trouble. And I think that the Constitution is in trouble. You've heard so many people say that our Constitution is now hanging by a thread. And it most certainly is. It most certainly is. But Let's uh, realize the limitations of this nation's guiding principles speech by John Kennedy, because I don't think he was correct in all things, because religious conviction has not flourished under a system of freedom. It has waned. We have gotten spiritually flabby. And we are calloused and we sit on the fence 
we as a nation have been the most barbaric of all nations. Almost 70 million babies murdered. We are the most accommodating of evil compared to all nations. And we will finally begin to head in the right direction if we do only one thing, and that is to return to God. And so now comes soon a new year, and I'm excited about it. But I have reservations as well. What will the year 2023 bring? Another year. How much has happened in the year's 2021 and 2022, we have slidden down the path to complete chaos and collapse of our American nation. Do you think we're going to finally head in the right direction in 2023? And what direction is that? What is the right direction? Well, we're seeing some rays of hope, some return of free speech, um, on Twitter, that's kind of nice. I wonder which way it's going to go. What is in the heart and mind of Elon Musk? And is he changing? What do you think it will take for Elon Musk to do the right thing on Twitter? I would suggest it'll take only one thing, and that would be an act of God. An acknowledgement that the creator of humankind has given us instructions and if we follow it, we will thrive and flourish. And if we don't, we will devour ourselves. Well, there's a lot more that's going to happen in 2023. And I am no guru or prognosticator of the future. But I can read the signs of the times. You know, the day could soon come when those who trust in God might be meeting in basements and secret hiding places to avoid persecution because religious freedom is a constitutional guarantee, right? And if the constitution is of no significance, then religious freedom means nothing. But what will that do perhaps to our religious conviction? And I wonder how Christianity, and I'm talking real Christianity, might flourish under a system of persecution. Remember that after the apostles were dispersed and the disciples in the first century, Christianity thrived, but it came through much persecution, suffering, torture, imprisonment, and death was the lot of Christians, and yet Christianity flourished as never before. And it continues to flourish under persecution. So what are we worried about? What happens if we do experience religious persecution in 2023? Well, it just might be that religious conviction, conviction, about what we stand for can take a stronghold in our own hearts and minds, and it can change the world. And that is what has always happened. What does it mean to say in God, I trust? 
when we have a holy fear of God, we trust God and we do not fear mankind. That is one of the first principles that we must remember in this time of persecution in America that it is coming. I love my homeland greatly. I served my country for almost 21 years in the military. I retired in the Air Force. I served my country in about three years of medical practice, trying to alleviate suffering and pain of the heart, of the emotions, of the body, in every which way. And I greatly enjoyed those ministries. I served these people with a military career, a medical career, and in various Christian ministries. But as powerful is my love of country, I have to say that my love of God must come first. And that should be what each of us says. And that means putting first things first and some things last. What are your pursuits? What do you spend the most amount of time on? Is it on wealth, on, on gaining wealth? Is it protecting your reputation? How many of your daily pursuits are really self-seeking in some way or another? Something we ought to consider because in all of its forms of our activities and thoughts and actions, what we are really doing is prioritizing. And when your treasure is sought, and when you have treasure, then that becomes your God and your greatest pursuit. That which you spend the most time seeking and pursuing is that which you cherish the most. And that's where we have to really stop and think, what do we want to be and what do we want to do in the coming year? What if we were to focus more on the spiritual things than on the political things? more on spiritual health than physical health, economic gains. I mean, everybody is caught up on physical health these days, right? Ever since the COVID pandemic. And let's face it, it's on both sides. On those who are, are calling out the lies and propaganda of the COVID-19 pandemic and those who are promoting it, it's all about physical health. And maybe that's a big deception because that's exactly what Satan would want us to do is to ignore the spiritual things, the unseen things that have eternal consequences. Let's get our minds off of that and let's fear coming down with a viral illness. And let's obey our government that wants to inject us with poison and thereby kill ourselves. You see, he who seeks to live his life and protect it is going to lose it. But when we seek the things of God, then we thrive and we live until God says, come home, and then we'll come home. And that is when life really begins. And we are promised that. Maybe the year 2023 should be a year when we put God first, even over the Constitution. Maybe I should focus less 
on the Constitution and focus more on God's will for me as a human being, as a father, a grandfather, as a friend, as a neighbor, and as a brother in Christ to my other fellow Christians. I wonder what fruit that might yield. Because truthfully, nothing matters more than a conviction to be faithful to God. Faithful to God, not faithful to our cause, not faithful to whatever allegiance we assign ourselves to, but a faithfulness to God to follow his ways. That can be life-changing because in the end, there is nothing that matters more than that. In Romans 10, 17, it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we ought to read scripture because that's where we hear the word of God. And if you're hearing it from any other source, it is not the word of God. I assure you. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now that's exciting. And remember the words of James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, and don't forget verse 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And James goes on to explain how I will show you my faith by my works. And if you have no good works and good being defined by God, then we ought to question, do we really have faith? Because James concludes in verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, thanatos, dead, body separated from soul, so faith without works is dead also. Now that's a scary thing to think about, and that makes me fear God. Don't say, I believe in God and think you're okay, because I assure you, Satan and all his demons believe in God, and they are condemned. They will be cast into the eternal pit forever on the final day. Well, with the new year comes the talk sometimes of New Year's resolutions, and it's almost always in a negative context. You know, the only resolution I have kept throughout the years when I resolved to do something and follow through with it was the reading of the Bible every day of the year, or perhaps reading the entire Bible or just reading a portion of the Bible each day. And whichever way you go, you're going to gain from it, but it's very important to do something like that. But maybe we should consider other things and actually take to heart some kind of resolve in ourselves and resolve is conviction, is it not? Maybe we should pray more often and pray, Lord, thy will be done as we were told in the model prayer. Maybe we should offer a kind word more often as we go about our day. And maybe we should even focus more on the local Christian churches to strengthen and encourage and sharpen them. Call out the hypocrisy. Call out 
the bad teaching that is so rampant in all our churches. Maybe in 2023, we could actually focus more on doing God's work than even on defending the Constitution. No more putting the cart before the horse. Because if we do not call God our Lord and Savior, and if we do not follow the good shepherd, then we are lost. And so is our constitution, and we are spinning our wheels appealing to the constitution. But when the Lord is our helper, what's to fear? When the Lord is our shepherd, we have nothing to fear. The greater our love for the Lord, the less is our fear of man. In the last chapter of Hebrews, and I'll turn there, we end the book by saying, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, I pray that that will be your focus this year, and I am going to strive to make that mine. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas and may peace and joy be yours and may it last forever. You've been listening to Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve Latour. Adieu.